Yo, what's up? Dr. Swole here, MD, bodybuilder, back with another episode on Swole Radio. Today I'm joined by Steve Hall, who is the founder of Revive Stronger. He is a natural bodybuilder and coach and also one of the best podcasters, in my opinion, in the science-based bodybuilding sphere. So it's great to have you on, Steve. How are you? Yeah, thank you for having me. And uh, thanks for the props on the podcast and everything. Uh, I always, uh, I always have horrible, like you are your own worst enemy. It's kind of like we have body dysmorphia. I have like everything dysmorphia. So I always like listen to myself back on the podcast. And I'm like, Oh my God, I sound like that. I can't pronounce <laughs> this person's name, whatever it is. Um, so I appreciate the props and, uh, I'm thankful that I have such amazing guests that do most of the talking for me. Uh, whereas <laughs> that might not be the case today in this podcast, I guess. Uh, but yeah, everything's good on my end. I, uh, yeah, I was, we we're just talking off air. Thankfully, in London, we have no, well, for me, as long as the gym's open, I'm pretty much a very happy guy. We have a few kind of restrictions in place, but nothing like they were a while ago. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy over here. Yeah. So, yeah, I think talking to you, Steve, is going to be pretty interesting because you have this unique role sort of as the as the podcast host and sort of like creator role. And I feel that it's a cool place to be in because you sort of gather so many perspectives from talking to people. And so I'm really interested to see sort of hear about your journey as well. And I'm sure anyone who knows you will have seen that you've had some pretty awesome progress over the years. So yeah, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about your journey as well as an athlete, as well as a coach, and maybe some insights we've learned in 2020 being such a unique year, um, especially since you have a lot of competitive bodybuilder clients for sure yeah this year has been a hell of a year uh for a lot of people so but i i guess i'll start with your first question in terms of i don't know how how far how back half uh yeah how far back shall i go like yeah all the way back yeah yeah i just want to hear your whole like journey in terms of training and cool no absolutely i think uh as a i always like hearing or i don't know if i like it but i always find it interesting to hear about like people's background in terms of like when they're at school were they like the skinny kid the fat kid <laughs> whatever it is a lot of yeah. a lot of people in fitness are like a lot of them are like the fat kid and then they lost all the weight and they suddenly were like man I need to kind of help more people doing this I was the opposite so I was always like just super skinny super active always doing stuff uh, if I could be playing football it was was like my obsession I'd be like playing it every hour on the hour uh, and I'd be doing it in every single bit of weather when I was a kid and then obviously went to university well not obviously I went to university and I tried various sports there as well and just before that I think it was maybe when I was uh, almost 16 but I was definitely underage I think you're meant to be 16 to be in the weight section in the UK and I was mm-hmm. 15 so I was kind of like underage lifting, <laughs> um, which is probably Ooh. safer than underage drinking in some ways. I was also probably at some stage doing that. Uh, but yeah, I was underage lifting for a little bit, but not obviously with no clue. I was just like looking at other people. I can remember my training split was like cables and one day was cables. One day was like free weights and I just alternate. And then somewhere in between, I chuck in like some sprints on the treadmill. I really didn't know what I was doing. And I can vividly remember someone else in my year who was like the jock or the, the the guy that was like the best at all sports and he was lifting the 30 kilo dumbbells as a bench press and this is at like 15 years old and I was just like man I can't even like barely do a push-up and this guy's like doing the 30s and that's kind of a, a little bit of like genetics for you where some people are just like they're, they're just made to be jacked or at least they have a, a very quick initiation into things where they see a really initial quick spark of progress and I was never that person I had to like try as hard as I could to see any sort of progress so yeah I got into it quite early and I I took it on whilst I was at university but never really took it as like my main thing I was doing it alongside other things so I was doing like rowing club I did running club I played football at the same time and I actually never did like despite my career now being in fitness I didn't even take PE to like a, uh, to A levels, which is like, I didn't even go anywhere near university. I did them to, as, as soon as I could drop it, I dropped it. Not because I didn't love it. I actually did love it uh, a heck of a lot. It's just, unfortunately at school, I was the kid that was kind of bullied. And a lot of the bullies are like, they like PE. So that really put me off. I was like, I'm not, I can't do PE. Unfortunately for me, I was in a lot of their classes anyway. Uh, so that didn't help me much, but that, that just 
I don't know. It's it's just weird how those things can happen. And I ended up in it anyway, despite what happened there. And obviously, we just learn a lot along the way. But at university, I was the studying geography of business. And I used to go on these kind of runs around campus. It's like this 10 kilometer run. And I can remember having my kind of Garmin watch on, my kind of heart rate monitor on. I was really into it. Like I had all the gear, probably no idea. I, I'm actually still pretty decent at running, even though I never run. Um, I just did a, because uh, speaking of this year, they had like a 5K run for charity and someone nominated me. And I was like, screw it, I'll do it. And I did it. And people were like, you, do you run regularly? And I was like, no, I don't. But uh, and that's not to show off. It's like I'm almost embarrassed that I'm that good at running, considering I never do it and I'm going to be a bodybuilder. So anyway, I do these runs and on one of them, I was on for an all time PB. So I came to some uh, lights uh, where I was, I was at a crossing and I was like, damn, I need to go if I want to kind of beat my PB. And um, I'm big on that and I'm very obsessive. And so I just went for it. Kind of came to this crossing and unfortunately looked to my right and there was this van just hit me so i ended up getting knocked out for a little bit i was unconscious for a very small amount of time and uh, i had like scars i mean i had like, cuts down my back and i have scarring now along my back and elbows where i had some kind of stitches and things like that i had a uh, fractured skull but the worst thing was the head injury that was more long term and they think it was a bruised pituitary gland and uh, the pituitary gland kind of controls a lot of different hormones. And the main one that was the issue for me was my sodium. My sodium levels were like all time low. And uh, we know, well, I only really learned how important sodium was then and there. Most people who are healthy can control their sodium fine. They don't have to worry too much about salt intake. They stay hydrated. They're otherwise healthy. They're going to be okay. But for me, my body was just not holding on to any sodium. So I was in these areas where... I could have a seizure if I wasn't careful. So I was in hospital for quite a period of time recovering because they were worried if they let me go, I just would fall into a seizure or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And in that time, I basically lost all the muscle and a lot of weight that I'd gained since kind of trying to build muscle. So all my newbie gains basically vanished at that stage. I came out of hospital, I think two stone lighter and not feeling great. And I also was on medication uh, to kind of help with the sodium in, uh, levels and I was on a fluid restriction. And that meant I couldn't like have booze. I was in my third year of university and I couldn't go out to any parties and kind of be that social person. And I never was that social anyway, kind of always been a little bit of a person who likes to keep themselves to themselves, not super confident, doesn't like putting themselves out there a lot. And so it just pushed me further into that shell. And I think that pushed me into bodybuilding. Uh, which is a sport that a lot of people like that flourishing because it's all about them. It's kind of selfish. They're in their own area. Yeah. And I also didn't want to do running. I didn't want to do all these different clubs. So I just ended up researching like, how can I grow this muscle back? How can I look some semblance of my previous self? And I stumbled across some forums and they had like some generic advice around bulking and just general routines and things. And I can remember going on this bulk and I had I still have it somewhere like a meal plan online where I was eating like I don't know 4,000 calories at like 130 pounds or something and I was having 300 grams of protein way in excess and I just used to follow this to the T like every day just eating all this food and stuffing myself and I gained weight so fast I, if I didn't gain like five pounds in a week I was like I need to increase my intake but five pounds a week I was aiming for it's just ridiculous crazy. So I was regaining a lot of old muscle tissue. Now reflecting, I, I regained a lot and I looked quite good initially, but I pushed it way too far. So I went from like 135, 140 pounds up to 190 pounds within a year. So I just packed it on super fast and I kind of got chubby as you'd expect. And I wasn't particularly happy with how I was looking. So then I went for a fat loss phase and I got down to like 170 pounds. I was like, oh, I'm looking pretty decent now. Uh, and during that time, I also just was not feeling great. I graduated. I started doing an office job um, through my dad. And I just wasn't really interested in that. And I was watching, like, I remember watching Ian McCarthy. I don't know if you know Ian McCarthy um, or kind of Matt Augusts, uh, those sort of people 
and uh, I came across like 3DMJ and I started just becoming obsessed with these guys and I stumbled across Lar McDonald and bodyrecomposition.com, his website. And I'd just be reading that on my commute to work every day and I'd be training hard and I'd learn more and more. And I started incorporating like flexible dieting. I started incorporating all these things and my results started really improving. Um, There's a stage where again, I did a mass and I got up to this really heavy weight and I noticed I had some kind of lumps under my nipples and I was like oh this isn't cool like that this doesn't feel good they were kind of sore uh, I thought it could have been like cancerous or something along those lines I was none the wiser to what it really was so I got and got a, a, a scan and they were like you have gyno because and then they got uh, they did a test for testosterone and my testosterone was like through the floor they're like you have like no testosterone and then they started asking like how are you feeling how's your libido this sort of thing and I had nothing uh, I had I was a pretty depressed person at that time. It was a real struggle in my life. And the gym was the only thing keeping me going and like that structure and routine of that. So I ended up going on a short course of testosterone replacement therapy. So they gave me this gel to rub into my chest to try and get rid of the gyno, which worked. And it changed my life completely at that point. I felt so much better. Had uh, actually a ridiculous libido <laughs> compared to where it was. It was just like a teenager again. It was kind of mad. Uh, and then, like, I started growing body hair again. Uh, I, I grew a beard. I could never grow a beard previous. So, all of that started recovering. And this was all kind of combined with the time I was learning how to do things right. And I learned about 3DMJ, natural bodybuilding. I was like, man, this is what I want to do. And I was like, but I'm taking testosterone. That's not like drug free. I can't compete. So at that time, I uh, asked my doctor to come off and he let me come off and he didn't think I'd be able to sustain normal levels. I guess it's, it seems to be quite the norm because a few people reach out to me and they're like, weren't you on TRT? How have you survived like after it and come off? And I don't know what it is. Uh, I guess my brain maybe recovered the bruising left. I could sustain low normal testosterone levels, which I'm super happy about. And I like to say that bodybuilding helped me out of that in terms of like having a healthy diet. Uh, having more muscle, weight training, that's only going to have benefited my testosterone levels. So mm. at that time, I then contacted some natural federations about kind of competing in them. And they said, if I pass the polygraph, I have my blood work and they can see kind of my doctor's notes that my test, like the reason I was taking the TRT, they said, I can compete, which was amazing. So this was 2014 after university. And at the time, I was also doing an office job and I started kind of getting better into some merchandising that I was doing, but it wasn't my passion. So I kind of, at the same time as quitting that job, becoming a one-on-one -on -one personal trainer, which I kind of qualified to become a personal trainer whilst uh, I was working full time. I'd just do weekends uh, with kind of the, whoever ran the qualification at the time, the YMCA, if that means anything to anyone. Um, so I got my qualification and I quit. I was like, I'm still living at home. I can do this from home. And I was kind of doing my contest prep at the same time. So that was really quite a, a changing year for me in 2014, where I competed for the first time. And I also ended up becoming an online coach. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, it kind of landed that way in that I was a one-on-one -on -one PT, but I never really fell in love with one-on-one -on -one PT. I think that's because if anyone who's competed, you know how little energy you have. And it was my first time, so I didn't really realize this was how it was going to go. And uh, I just had no energy. I had no kind of, if my clients didn't turn up, I was kind of like, yes, I have more time. I can sit down on my ass and not worry about things. I didn't realize how important like meat was. So my cardio actually ended up being quite high because I wasn't tracking steps and things like this that we know are like fundamental things. So people in that gym, there are quite a lot of people from the surrounding schools who are a few years younger than me. And they saw me getting shredded and they were just like, this guy knows what he's doing. So they're like, can I get coached by you? But not like, I don't need you as a PT. And I was like, yeah, I can online coach you. I can take you online and do your kind of nutrition, your training. And I started helping a lot of guys from the surrounding schools and they just started getting fantastic results. I started sharing that and my online business was just growing. So I slowly transitioned out of one-on-one -on -one PT and started a revive with Stephen Hall. And that's really where it all started. Um, and it's kind of revived stronger as the business name now, because I kind of say that kind of bodybuilding, health, fitness, nutrition allowed me to get into a kind of the healthiest like uh, position I've ever been in, in my life. And if I can recover from such an accident, I just felt like I could help 
people all over the world achieve their goals and it was something I was I'm, I'm still hugely passionate about helping people kind of get there because I had no control in my life after that accident and I could have easily been that person to just like wallow in pity and give up and I don't know become obese become a fat person um, oh. if I really wanted to and just give up on that and not even graduate I could have easily sacked off my education but um, I'm really glad I had the mindset of no I'm, I'm going to take this head on I'm going to push myself further and really take on board I, I graduated and obviously competed in 2014 first time and did fine uh, and kind of lit the passion to be online uh, so ever since then as obviously the business has grown kind of ran several seminars over in London having people like Mike Isratel over and others from like Renaissance periodization running the podcast now and even have a coaching team a business partner and I've competed another time since in 2017 where I did considerably better um, and I want to do even better going forward so yeah I kind of rushed some years but I like giving that little bit of a backstory because yeah my real passion for bodybuilding and competing came from kind of wanting to prove to myself that I had recovered from my accident and that was no longer holding over to me and I was kind of like if I can get down to severely low body fat levels and then recover out of it and still be okay this kind of shadow that was following me it was the kind of the ill health I had I was no longer worried about that and I felt like I could achieve anything after that um, and so I then just am super passionate about helping other people who maybe aren't feeling the best or are struggling especially younger guys this is a lot of the younger guys from the surrounding schools were thinking about stepping on steroids or something like that and I was like you no, no, no you're skipping the smarts <laughs> you're training hard but now educate yourself a little bit more about what we need to do and structure that so yeah in a roundabout way that's how I've got to where I am today and uh, I think it's really kind of made me the person I am today as well yeah no that's really inspirational I think it's it's interesting to see how bodybuilding sort of unites people in the way that um it goes so much deeper than just what it is you know in terms of it's a lot more than just going to the gym and lifting weights and sometimes I you you wonder like oh like why are we doing this to such an extreme degree and it's just so much more of the like how it how it runs into all other areas of your life you know in, in terms of giving you that motivation or that outlet for self-improvement yeah i look at us yeah i was just gonna say when you when people say that i always look at someone like arnold schwarzenegger perfect example you just like like the greatest bodybuilder of his time but also like unbelievable politician unbelievable businessman unbelievable actor like he's just used his the, the structure, the discipline, the drive, the bodybuilding, you need to be successful in bodybuilding. And he's just applied it to other, other aspects of life. So yeah, it's definitely true. Yeah. So yeah, just to, to uh, switch gears a little bit, just going along the, the journey, but more in terms of the training, what sort of uh, were your, the training paradigms that you went through throughout the years? Yeah. So when I started, like I said, I had like my cable and free weight split, <laughs> uh, which was just completely made up I don't even know what I was doing uh, and then I started I think I read some magazines and I just kind of me and my friends just started doing like whatever and just followed some splits out of magazines and just I was always trying to lift more um, and lift heavier weights and that often led to then regression because I'd never like take time off and I'd always try more 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 always in that mindset of just like I can always like, the body's just kind of unbreakable in that way and then I think the first probably proper split I started doing was from the forum actually someone started like programming for me and I, I have no idea really what it was um, it was some sort of structure though which helped uh, and then I can remember doing various splits like uh, hypertrophy specific training I did I think that's by um, I've forgotten his name actually I don't want to get his name wrong but it was hypertrophy specific training and I did Jim Wendler's 531 obviously Matt Ogus was really big on that uh, and so like I basically copied whatever he was doing it for a time and obviously now we know that's probably pretty non-specific towards hypertrophy you could make it better do like boring but big uh, that version <laughs> yes. of it so I definitely did some of that uh, and I also just then created some of my own programs at times and I followed also uh, Lyle McDonald's generic bulk routine uh, which is a pretty like pretty decent program still to this day for a lot of people I think and then I yeah I, I kind of came across the principles from 3D muscle journey so uh, kind of Eric Helms muscle and strength pyramids that sort of approach 
uh, where it was a little bit powerlifting kind of focus in terms of the compound lifts, but then you'd have accessory lifts that was much more hypertrophy specific uh, and kind of using some kind of daily undulating periodization within that model, having program deloads. 531 actually was probably the first program that had actual deloads in it that I actually kind of followed. I don't think I really strictly followed them at the time. Um, is like let down the line, I realized how much I probably manipulated programs to be what, what I wanted it to be rather than following it by the book, which I think as a beginner is the wrong thing to do. Um, and then it was, uh, I don't know if it was maybe 2015 or 16, that I came across the scientific principles of strength training, uh, which was by Mike Isratel, James Hoffman and Chad Wesley Smith. And that book kind of changed the game for me. Uh, previous to that, I was using practical programming by Mark Ripito um, and Kill Gore. And that was cool but a lot of the programs in there were very strength specific and so I always struggled with those and I, I kind of tried to use the cube method at one point and try and build hypertrophy programs out of those so it was really nice seeing their kind of specific book that was outlining the principles of strength training but also had kind of inklings into how you should train for hypertrophy and then having read that I then, with uh, Mike Samuels, brought over Mike Isratel and James Hoffman to uh, kind of do a seminar in the UK. And then he just opened a can of worms for me in terms of like hypertrophy training. He basically went through the principles of hypertrophy, tra hypertrophy training. And uh, it was just like that weekend was such an education for me. And it was such a new perspective. And uh, it just changed my perspective on kind of training for muscle growth completely. And ever since then, I very much tried to keep up to date with the methods and kind of how much volume we should be doing and thinking about hard sets, uh, using the volume landmarks, uh, utilizing reps and reserve, uh, periodization even, having like kind of lower volume periods, mini cuts thrown in there. Um, yeah, it, it completely opened my eyes to how actually we can make the kind of same principles that we take for strength training and apply them specifically to hypertrophy training and they are quite different. So. Yeah, over the last years, I've very much been kind of following, I would say, a more evidence-based approach and a more hypertrophy-specific style of approach where, yeah, where you look at really like everything in your program should be in there for hypertrophy-specific reasons, like specificity, the number one principle. I could probably look back on a bunch of old programs where not even that was met. Uh, and then we have things like overload, progressive overload. Make sure your program has that kind of built in. You should be training hard and harder over time. And then fatigue management. So, yeah, having kind of the principles laid out to me like that, uh, that was kind of a, a complete kind of game changer for me. Mm -hmm. How would you say your, um, um, your training has evolved in terms of like requirements for volume and intensity sort of throughout as you evolved from a beginner, I guess? Yeah, it's, I mean, I was completely unaware of it when I first started lifting I'm not even sure when I started really considering volume I think the first time was probably when Wormbond's study was being kind of talked about a lot and that was basically uh, total number of reps performed so that wasn't even like if, I mean if you did high rep sets then you'd quite easily meet the requirements I can't even remember what the requirements are but thinking back to that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but it was the best science we had at the time I think I found that through Eric Helms and that was kind of his the way he was kind of giving out volume. Uh, and then later down the line, we've kind of discovered that, well, it doesn't really matter too much what the rep range is. As long as you're training close to failure, at least kind of four reps in reserve or less, we're probably getting similar hypertrophic adaptations. So we should kind of just consider maybe hard sets. So then that really opened up my eyes and there's been way more literature in the past number of years thanks to people like Brad Schoenfeld. And now we have like a bullmark figure of, okay, like 10 to 20 sets seems to be a good working range to have within your training per muscle group per week. And so, yeah, when I first started getting into and learning that like, I mean, I don't know, but volume being a, a key determinant of hypertrophy, when we started, I started learning about that, I did start using excessive volumes i would say so i'd start adding a lot in and thinking i needed more and more is better and uh, i would say that was definitely the wrong approach i think i probably needed to increase like my focus and intent within the gym and so i started focusing more on that more on my technique using full range of motion uh, really using like 
when it is a four RAR, actually doing four RAR and not like six um, at stages. And there was definitely times where I think I was probably guilty of that, even though I like to think I always was working hard, but I've just got better at kind of that internal focus on the muscle, my muscle connection, really feeling the stimulus. So I would say when I was first introduced to the idea of volume being a key driver of hypertrophy and dose like dose dependent, I was doing too much, maybe three years ago. But when I started learning more about kind of the importance of intensity, technique, and kind of stimulus, and started really thinking about like, oh, how disrupted and pumped is a sp specific muscle feeling, then I was like, oh, now I can get away with maybe half the volume I was doing before. In terms of my own specific like volume requirements, I'd say I'm pretty average. I'm pretty average across the board with a lot of things. So like the 10 to 20 is pretty close to where I am. Uh, I would say now I'm getting to what I'd call advanced kind of stages. I'm struggling to get all my volume, like hit MRV for each muscle group um, because my systemic MRV is just smaller than every individual muscle group's MRV. So I, I get capped a little bit, and which is why I ended up like splitting my sessions into twice daily sessions so I could kind of uh, make sure my recovery was good, my kind of quality of training was good. I think there's probably going to become a time and I may need to do it sooner than I like to, uh, or I maybe should have already done it where I kind of start using some specialization phases. So maybe I leave some muscle groups kind of on the back burner and start prioritizing some weaker muscle groups probably. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of where I've gone from. So I definitely initially had no idea. Uh, then I started using probably reps times sets, which is probably the wrong way of looking at volume. And I had, I also use volume load for some things because I was kind of like mixing up strength training and kind of doing a bit of power building, which I don't think was the right way. And then when I started learning about hard sets, that's really when my eyes opened to proper specific hypertrophy training. And I ended up doing too much at the start. And as I got better with my focus and training and my real intent and getting the most out of every exercise, my requirements definitely started decreasing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's really interesting to hear the journey and then <laughs> kind of like triggers a um, like a theory of mine that I've had for a while that uh, maybe you can validate. But like, I've noticed a lot that when you when you sort of like listen to the questions people ask and where they are in their journey, that people go through these sort of like, I call them like the stages of development in terms of your like approach to bodybuilding. Sort of like the first stage is, the uh, like the technique how to perform exercises stage where it's just like oh how do I squat how do I deadlift and then and it's sort of people are um, they'll always uh, very early beginners their first questions are like what's the best exercise for chest you know or like and then uh, and then you sort of reach this like early like PT phase where people are like okay like I'm very confident in how to squat and deadlift and perform these movements properly and then uh, you come to this the I call the split phase where it's like the biggest question is what's the best split or like what's the best like beginner program and then you try and you sort of like get delved into all these sort of like pre-made programming like strategies like um, the, the beginner strength programs and that and then uh, and then that sort of takes you to like late beginner and then uh, eventually people sort of discover eventually you discover like the all the different variables and the meanings of them like the volume intensity and frequency and how they all interplay and then you get into this big wormhole of uh, uh of playing with those and uh, and like eventually finally you get to like the last stage i guess which is sort of the the fine manipulations of variables within mesocycles and macrocycles and stuff they talk about on your podcast <laughs> yeah i think i think for the person who probably has average or less than average genetics and loves this that's the journey they'll probably go through i reckon there's people who have fantastic genetics true. who never need to worry true. about any that of it that is true yeah <laughs> <laughs> and there's the people that give up <laughs> but what you described there is really cool because you essentially describe like the uh, the priorities and the principles almost in order it's like individualization almost comes that's like we're all very similar can benefit from the same sort of things but when you're more advanced you kind of need to get those like unique differences right by the start form is the foundation i wish my form was better at the start and i have wouldn't have had some of the injuries that i have thankfully i don't have many um but yeah my, my form and technique is a lot better than it used to be i think that's part of it as well i, I don't think anyone's form is like amazing at the start because yeah exactly especially as males were a little bit uh, <laughs> I, at least i was a little bit egotistical and thought i was better than i was at the start 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, like looking back at all the injuries I've had, I mean, like, I don't know if I would have ever learned those lessons, you know, and if you didn't go through that, <laughs> I guess it all plays its part. Um, for, yeah, like a fun question, uh, what what's, has it been, been your experience with special techniques? Like, um, and just, just anything besides straight sets over the years and what, what, what have been your favorites? Cool. So yeah, I went for a period where I didn't use these like at all. When you first get into the gym, these are some of like the funnest things to do where you do like 21s with bicep curls and you do like short rest periods and supersets everything. And then I think it was when I came across the muscle and strength pyramids and I, I can't remember off the top of my head whether or not they talk about them in there. They're not really widely used. They were more so focused on mechanical tension and progressing load. Uh, and so I, for a long, long time, didn't really use them and didn't really use the higher rep range. I kind of went up to maybe 15 and focused on like the kind of five to 15 rep range, which is probably the right place to focus most of your training on anyway. I guess many people could rightly argue. And it wasn't until I think Brad Schoenfeld came over for a seminar and he was talking about the kind of pathways to hypertrophy. And one of them was cell swelling. And he was like, yeah, this is the pump. And I'm like, man, I never train for the pump. I always just train to lift more, which is again, probably the right thing to focus on. And then it, I later then started incorporating more of these kind of metabolite techniques or kind of pump intensifiers, those sort of ones. And having used quite a few of them, I ended up kind of just using, I basically rely on one or two now. So either my reps, which are by Borg Fagelli, and that's essentially where you kind of, you hit a kind of activation set of maybe 15 to 25 reps, uh, close to failure, rest three to five breaths. And then you do like, I, I actually do an AMRAP to an RER, but he kind of suggests do another three to five reps, three to five breathers, three to five reps. So um, for three to five extra sets as well. So that works really well. So you essentially, you pre-fatigue the muscle and then you have short rest periods to keep the fatigue in the muscle. So you get a big metabolite effect, kind of like filling up the muscle as if it's a balloon with metabolite, blood, water, all that good stuff. So that potentially there's a cell swelling effect that leads to hypertrophy. And I really like that. I think that's awesome. And then I started using some other methods that were essentially I found to be very similar to that. Uh, almost every other one I've come across um, seems to be just so, so similar, if not the same. So whether or not it's like giant sets, you pick a load, that's kind of a lighter load and you Kind of pick a number of reps and you have to do as many sets as you uh, as few sets as possible to hit that rep count i found that to be very similar to my reps so i was kind of like i know just using my reps for a lot of things or um, rest pause is another one which again is pretty similar to my reps in that sense so i mostly just use my reps and then supersets so i really like agonist supersets so you might do something like a isolation movement for a muscle group and then a compound movement for a muscle group. Uh, so that might be something like a tricep push down into like a close grip overhead press. And that kind of really fries the triceps. And again, you'd use that for maybe 15 to 30 repetitions on each set. And you just have no rest between those exercises and you go forward. And uh, I find some of my favorites are like a fly into like press ups for the chest, just blows the chest up completely. And my I, I absolutely love this for quads is like a uh, you could do a my rep walking lunge or you could do like a my rep uh, sorry savage. a lunge yeah savage <laughs> a my uh, sorry a lunge into a squat so you do like 20 reps of lunges close to failure and you go straight into the same weight and you do like a amrap into squats with the weight and that's just yeah it's horrendous you like you can't walk downstairs once you've done a couple of sets of that they're they're completely savage um so yeah those my reps and kind of the supersets a lot of my clients probably have gone through it where i've given them different ones and i'm just like I end up because i ended up programming with so many people i'm just like you know what these are so distinctly similar the main thing here is we're trying to fatigue the muscle keep the fatigue there so those are the ones I've kind of come across as being the most programmable and progressible and easy to understand and really effective in use. Oh, and I guess uh, BFR. Um, I have used blood flow restriction training, uh, which is absolutely horrendous. Uh, I don't think I've ever felt the pain from blood flow restriction training. Uh, and I'm not sure if it's worth the pain sometimes <laughs> um because yeah that distinctly hurts uh, it gets a fantastic pump but sometimes i think it can be quite easy i think i've been 
uh, like uh, made the error to make it like the bands too tight. So I've done like a leg press BFR, which again, the actual protocol for BFR training is very similar to my reps, just you occlude the, the, the limb. So yeah, for the quads and for the arms, my reps, uh, sorry, BFR can be pretty damn effective. Uh, but yeah, it's, it really hurts. <laughs> and yeah, you don't take the wraps off between sets and you're just like sitting there and your legs are like turning purple. If they're turning purple, it's a little bit too tight. <laughs> But it, yeah, sometimes, yeah, they're, they're just building up with lots of blood and it's just horrendous. You take them off, it's like, oh, it's the nicest feeling ever. But I find normally, unless someone's injured, I don't tend to program uh, BFR. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's cool to compare notes. I feel that, I feel that like, yeah, like my rep variations, drop sets and BFR are like the only thing or like the, my favorite sort of things. And I guess drop they're sets. just, yeah, they're just very, like, I do use top. those as well. I forgot. They're really uh just easy to apply like yeah take off a bit of load so yeah i like drop sets as well yeah i feel like they're the most uh yeah versatile versatile like easy to yeah. implement techniques and also like i guess out of um an, uh, temporal sort of app like application they're just very easy to use for like home training as well but i've i found for myself yeah i like them they're really good for home training and likewise if someone's like a trip or a holiday I tend to do it where I'm just like, I just do like this my rep circuit or like, like a, yeah, just a pump circuit. Cause like you said, it's hard when you haven't got enough weight, but if you fatigue, keep yourself fatigued, so you don't recover in time. Yeah. You don't need much weight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Especially with that lunge squat, nasty death stuff that you're talking about. <laughs> um, if you, if you could look back on your training career, what, what would you say was the biggest limiting belief or biggest mistake that sort of kept you from progressing for the longest or the most yeah i think for me there's a really obvious one and i don't think it's necessarily i don't think it necessarily prevented me progressing it's certainly prevented me progressing at my fastest rate uh, and that would be kind of handicapping my surplus i got into this mindset and i think it's easy to get into this mindset where you think oh, i can recomp or I don't need much of a surplus. And I ended up like really training hard, putting a lot of effort into that, but basically maintaining my body weight for months and months and months. And by the end of that, it just didn't really look much different. I hadn't really made much progress. And I feel like I wasted quite a lot of time trying to stay too lean and at a body weight where I was just like not really seeing much progress. And I think it's it was really easy for people to get like that when kind of they're on a lot of calories training's fun they look okay they're relatively lean and they're like they kind of yeah sell themselves on the idea of body recomposition or not needing much of a surplus and i think that's true you could i probably wasn't just sitting and standing still and not making any gains but the difference between just inserting a little bit of a surplus there makes such a big difference and for me it made a huge huge difference my um i actually probably made more gains years down the line because i just input a surplus there uh, and so that for me really was a big game changer and I had it when I started like I said I did that I would call it a folk like a fat bulk I think I got that from <laughs> Aragon where I had like a huge surplus so I was gaining like five pounds a week which what that surplus is like thousands of calories that's ridiculous but then I got into yeah basically trying to just maintain my weight for a long time so then there's obviously the best solution is normally a middle ground so I kind of like a 300 calorie surplus or so where you're gaining at like one to two percent of body weight every month i find that to be really really like a nice sweet spot where it's like you know you're gaining on the scale so you know you're making the most out of that surplus in your training but you're not getting super fat in a really quick period of time um, and that just allowed me to just gain way more muscle than i could have um, and also in combination with that i pushed my body weight further than i was comfortable i'd never pushed like above 190 pounds and uh, my last full off season, I pushed just over 200 and that was super uncomfortable. But when I cut down, man, you could see the difference. And so I think, especially, I think natural people uh, tend to handicap themselves a little bit more in that regard. And sometimes they avoid that real discomfort in the off season. And there's something to be said for not getting too fat for sure. But I, I think a lot of guys try and stay like, I don't know, 10% body fat year round. It's like, oh. Your testosterone might be like significantly higher if you've moved up to even 15%. Um, so yeah, that that's definitely a lesson learned for me. And 
uh, a lot of the people I end up coaching have a similar struggle in that regard and they've seen me go through it and they're like you can help me through this so it's, it's great to be able to do that for people mm -hmm. yeah no yeah I think that's a that's a big one for a lot of people and uh, it's definitely something people should be thinking about as they progress and experience level um, switching gears a bit just coming to sort of the uh, coaching aspect of things what have been some insights that you've learned this year with the, with all the events that have been going on in 2020 in terms of specifically your prep athletes? So, yeah, I mean, I think back to it now because I had, I can think of two guys I had, I think, I don't know how many competitors I had this year, but I can distinctly think of two guys who were prepping and one of them was like a month out and the other one was literally shredded to his socks. Like he was in uh, and this was his first time competing. And I was devastated for him because his first show got canceled. Then he just kept going. He got in even better shape. And the next show got canceled like two days before it. And uh, I just, I was devastated for him because he was in such great shape, first of all, and he'd like ticked every box there possibly was. Uh, and so to have that taken away from him, just, yeah, he'd, he'd set his eyes on that goal for a long, long time. So that was really hard. Uh, but the the thing I took away from that was his response was just so mature in that he didn't kind of cry like a baby. He very much took it on. He was like, you know what? What we've done together here is amazing. And the experience is so valuable. And that I really value the journey. And stepping on stage and potentially getting that trophy was just the icing on the cake. So he was just so mature in his response. And he was a young guy. And like that inspired me for myself <laughs> whenever I'm going through tough times and things don't go quite right I thought that was such a great response by him and then the other guy uh, we ended up he was like a month out but he was already pretty dicey as well and we did a photo shoot so kind of the lesson there for us was like making the most out of a bad situation he kind of did his, his best he could to get a photo shoot in place and we just kind of took some great photos for him and so that was fantastic and then the female I had thankfully was competing later in the year and she did her bikini shows that actually went ahead in the US because there were some states that are allowing that. Uh, and kind of was just, the, the show still goes on. I think that was part of something that was a bit of a lesson where like, despite how everything could be going away everywhere else, you can still kind of have this defining goal for you and that can keep you on track, really make you productive. And she had so many stresses going on as well in her life. Like she lost her job. Uh, she kind of um, like had relationship difficulties at times, like family weren't well. There's all this stress of COVID going on, yet she still kept moving forward and kept ticking the boxes. And the kind of lesson there is like, we have so much control in our lives. Like you can control what you put in your mouth. You can dedicate time to train. Like a lot of people, like a lot of people try and undersell themselves and they say, I don't have time. And I think more pe people have more time than they think they can, they have. And they also undersell their, kind of determination and their ability to succeed and she did fantastic she ended up winning her show and she's flourishing out the other side now with like a new job and everything uh, and it was amazing to see and I think that says a lot about her character the fact that the kind of the rebound was so good um, so yeah those were probably some of the key lessons with some of my clients and yeah it's it a devastating year for competitors because it's just so many people were in that position where they'd taken it past, I would call it like your lower end settling range of body fat, basically for men, like below 10%, where you no longer feel good. Libido's definitely taking a hit. Food focus is a little bit high. You're not performing as well in the gym. So you're not in a productive position really at that time. And so it feels like time wasted. But the good thing is you can always take away lessons and uh, take those forward going, moving forward. So I was even looking to compete this year and I was kind of in my pre-comp phase where I dieted right down and thankfully for me it landed perfectly almost where I was at that kind of lower end settling range where I was about 10% body fat and I needed to have a maintenance phase and that's basically when lockdown came in and I just decided the stage is always there uh, and that's a great take home as well where like I really wanted to compete this year but I'm so glad I didn't because despite some shows did go ahead uh, it just wasn't well timed for me they got delayed and I can't imagine the stress I would have had kind of with all the kind of discussion of lockdowns and the shows moving and some organizations canceling other ones not 
So uh, I think it's always a great call for a coach to be like, you know what, if this year is really looking like a struggle, why not go next year? There's no reason we can't. The stage is always there. So that was a good reminder of like not being too obsessive about a goal and a, a time when like you don't need to be. Uh, this is a long-term pursuit and I'm going to be competing many times in future. So that was a nice lesson. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I went through something similar. I mean, I was, I was 10 days out from my first show um, season when lockdown hit and I was, I was shredded and it was, that was like brutal. And it was just, yeah, going through that decision process of, okay, should I like try and maintain and like wait for the next show? But like, I suspect like from things I was seeing in the hospital and that, that things were going to go downhill for the rest of the year. So I ended up pulling myself out of it. And like, I'm glad I did because it, everything did get canceled, like from, from months after that. But uh, yeah, like just knowing that the stage is there and like, just knowing that like you've learned so much from the process and that it still sort of adds so much to your journey over the time over time and I think I've, I, my first thought was like okay I'll like compete next year um and then yeah like and now I'm sort of at that point where like I don't feel I'm ready to prep again you know like it's just it, it was a full prep for me so um but yeah like I can always just come back to it the year after beyond and it's really all just going to be more more progress and more more time bettering yourself in the meantime that's the thing i mean the like you said the and i said the stage is always there and recovering from prep takes time <laughs> it really does and there's nothing worse than trying to prep when you're not fully ready for it uh that would be yeah it's a, a really uncomfortable position to get into and a lot of competitors unfortunately do get into that cycle of competing every year and they end up looking worse every year and just kind of like we can't as a natural rebound our kind of testosterone and our physiology psychology as well and everything and the thing i always remind myself and it reminds me like the fact that we're so near christmas now i'm just like where did this year go time flies so if you're feeling like you need to compete next year because oh my god i've been waiting so long another year is nothing uh, it will fl next year is like probably going to fly by as well mm -hmm. yeah all right yeah so that was a uh, fun discussion i guess zooming out a little bit uh what what are your plans for yourself in terms of the the macro looking over the next year or two and sort of what sort of phases do you have lined up all that so i could be i'd love if i just like really disappoint you'd be like i ain't got a clue uh but no i have actually mapped out my next maybe uh, six months no maybe even more than that probably a year i think it's actually this time next year is the finals that I'm shooting for in the UK DFPA, which is kind of our one of the biggest natural organizations within the UK, actually within Europe, they're part of the WMBF. So I am currently in a mini cut, and that is if I was not competing next year, I wouldn't do this mini cut right now, just because I'm in a position where my body fat still isn't out of control, uh, and I'm in a position where I could have just kept productively massing. But because I'm competing next year, I don't want my body fat to get too out of range and i learned from this year cutting down that i probably need to hit around 170 pounds for a stage weight uh, to be pretty legit shredded so I, i'm glad i have that kind of goal in mind because i had a much lighter well, i had like 165 or 160 pounds in my mind so i've gained quite a bit of muscle since then so it's really nice to kind of have that so right now I'm mini cutting um, and I want to get down into the low 180s um, and then I'm going to mass for another uh, 15 weeks. So get back up to basically 190 pounds. I'm going to maintain that um, and then I'm going to start prep, uh, which will be about 20 weeks long uh, or just over 20 weeks and uh, 20, yeah, 20 to 25 weeks, I think it is. And I'll have about 20 pounds to lose then, uh, which is totally doable. I really like... Uh, what was it uh peter fitchin said on the podcast it's just so simple i loved it like it makes so much sense it was like you should have just over a week for every pound that you need to lose so if i have 20 pounds to lose i want at least 20 weeks or 25 weeks so that little bit of buffer is going to be really helpful there so yeah i'm that's kind of the plan um so i have then finals well a qualifier maybe in i think it's around november time or maybe september time and then about a month where I hope to be able to like metabolic build or kind of a reverse diet, build my calories up from a shredded position to be even fuller and in a better position for finals, hopefully. 
um, and then hopefully do my best that I can at finals. And I imagine that'll be the end of my season. Um, I don't imagine I'll end up going to like Worlds or something, but I mean, I can dream. Um, so that's my overall goal is, yeah, a bit more time massing into next year and then I'll kind of maintain that and then cut down. So yeah, it's all going to, like I said, time flies. It's all going to come upon me and I'm going to be cutting again in no time. <laughs> yeah. Any, do you have any specific goals in terms of like aspects of your physique or other parts of, the, of, of, of show prep? So, yeah, that's a good question. I, I kind of talked about earlier whether or not I should be doing a specialization phase. And maybe that's something I do need to consider. At the moment, I was just going to kind of try and grow everything uh, as best I can. And I think I still would try and grow everything, but I might. And I have had a bit of a bias towards uh, growing my quads, specifically an area I definitely want to bring up. Um, I have a relatively balanced physique, uh, I would say. I don't think there's any kind of muscle groups that are like, really strong and other ones that are really weak my biceps are a decent muscle group but and my calves are a weak one that's probably what they're, they're probably ones um <laughs> but the rest of my physique is relatively well balanced so yeah if anything i'd like to grow everything um and then i think maybe following that competition when i've got truly stage lean and i start seeing kind of holes in my physique again i might start running some specialization phases and I don't know when I'll next compete, maybe like 2025 or something. Um, so I've really made some new changes again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, I mean, I guess I'm in a similar position where I'm just starting to get to that point where like your your systemic MRV sort of starts to cap you. And it's just that painful decision. Like, I don't, I don't want to give up other muscle yeah. groups. <laughs> yeah, it's hard because, yeah, it's, it's not as fun a training I don't feel like. I feel like I might even need a coach to take me through that because I'm not sure I'll, I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to actually make myself do that. So that might be the time at which I'm just like, okay, I'll get a coach and I'll actually just follow what they say rather than doing my own training. Cause yeah, it's easy to convince yourself. You can just grow everything, but it's tough. Yeah, exactly. All right. So for the audience, uh, where can they find you, Steve? So yeah, the best place to find me is probably Revive Stronger on Instagram is where I'm most present. Uh, the Revive Stronger podcast is our podcast, which is on all podcast providers and it's on YouTube as well, which is fantastic. Uh, revivestronger.com is our website. So you can actually find our coaching team there. You can find various kind of services and products we provide, the online coaching, our members site. Um, so that's probably the best places to reach out for us. Mm -hmm. What's like your biggest interest right now in terms of the your, your I guess your services and business that's a good question i think probably for us the member site is something we really want to start growing uh, to grow a nice community um, it's kind of a really kind of cheap service where we have various presentations and we have a really thriving forum where different people are interacting kind of trying to bring back the old bodybuilding forums and kind of drive a really productive and fruitful environment there so that's probably the main thing that we're trying to just grow and develop at the moment where it's like a kind of education community and entertainment platform um, myself and pascal are doing vlogs there every week so they're quite fun to follow along with as well yeah awesome yeah i think i can only recommend you highly steve so and if anyone's looking for coaching and that kind of stuff definitely head on over and thanks so much for being on the podcast steve. thank you for having me i hope uh, yeah people appreciate this and uh, enjoyed our chat that's all for now guys thanks for listening if you enjoyed this episode make sure you subscribe give me a five-star rating and leave me a review my primary platform is youtube so if you'd like to see video content by me you can find my YouTube channel if you search Ask Dr. Swole. See you next time.